Well, this morning we're beginning a new series, and the series is called Be Holy. And one of the most tricky things as a minister is deciding what to preach. And so last time we went through the whole book of Daniel, and we went through it chapter by chapter and covered that. And, and last week, as I was thinking and praying what, what to preach, I felt that the Lord led me to preach a series on holiness. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to look at five things. This morning, we're going to look at the call to live a holy life. Next week, we're going to look at the beauty of a holy life. The following week, we'll look at the keys to living a holy life. Then we're going to look at the fight to live a holy life. And finally, we're going to look at the habits of a holy life. And what I would really like to encourage you to do is to try to come to all five of these. Or if you miss one, catch up with the podcast. And the reason is because they all fit together like a jigsaw. So for example, after you hear this morning's service, this morning's sermon, hopefully it encourages you in some way to live a holy life. But if you miss week three, the keys to living a holy life, you'll struggle to know how to do that. So can I encourage you, over the next five weeks, do try to come out on Sunday mornings. And if you do miss one, please catch up online. And my prayer for this series, my prayer, my sincere prayer, is that God uses it in each of our lives to encourage us and equip us to live holy lives in the world that we're in. So this series, it's not going through a book of the Bible, but it is grounded in Scripture. And this morning, I want to read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 6, and then 6, 13 to 16. Let me read this to you. This is the Word of God. Peter writes these words to God's people. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. O oh Lord, you have said that your word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto our path. Give us grace this morning to receive your truth and strength this morning to follow in the path that you set before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me ask you a question this morning. Whenever you think about holy people, or whenever you think of a holy person, who do you think of? Who do you think of just now? A holy person or holy people? My guess is that some of you, whenever you think of holy people, what you think of is people who you would really rather not be like. Maybe this morning you think of judgmental people. You know those type of people I mean? 
Those people who are really self-righteous, who think they are so moral and so good that they look down their noses at everybody else. Maybe whenever you think of holy people, they're the type of people you think of. Those judgmental, unkind, ungracious people. And in your mind, you think, I don't want to be one of those people. Maybe though this morning, it's not so much unkind, ungracious, judgmental people you think of. But maybe whenever you think of holy people, you think of people who separate themselves from normal people like you and I. Do you know the type of people I mean? Think of the Amish community. Whenever I think of holy people, they come into my mind. How do they live? They, they separate themselves from the world. They don't use electricity. They have their own community and they don't eat with anybody or spend time with anybody outside of their community. And my guess is that if you work in a big enough workplace or you live in a street where you know your neighbors, maybe you know some people, maybe they're exclusive brethren, for example, and they won't sit down at the lunch table with you and they separate themselves from everybody else. Maybe when you think of holy people, you think of people like that, people who separate themselves, who live in their own little holy huddle and they, they don't let anybody else in and they don't leave it. And again, whenever you think of people like this, it doesn't really appeal to you. You don't fancy a live life lived like that. Or maybe this morning, it's not so much people who separate themselves. It's not so much people who are judgmental. But whenever you think of holy people, you think of very serious people. Very somber people. They walk around life and they never crack a smile. They never tell a joke. There's no joy in their life. They just live in a very serious way, trying to please God all the time. And heaven forbid that they should smile as they try to please Him. These people, they, they live by the mantra, God wants me to be holy and not happy. And for these people, holiness and happiness, they don't go together. And again, when you think of people like this, being a holy person, it doesn't really appeal to you. Maybe when you think of holy people, you think of it in a very negative way. Or maybe you think of it in a completely different way. Maybe, in fact, whenever you think of holy people, you think of people who you would love to be like, but you never could be in a million years. Maybe you think of someone like Mother Teresa, who was so holy, she, she gave up her whole life and went to India and helped the orphans there. Or maybe you think of someone further back in church history like John Wesley. What a holy man he was. I'm 35. He was 35 when he became a Christian. Converted to 35, turned that around, you get 53. For 53 years, he went all over the world and he preached the gospel. He died when he was 88 years old. And do you know what he left behind? This man who could have been as rich as the prosperity preachers of today, do you know what he left behind? He left behind a handful of books. He left behind his Geneva gown that he went preaching in. 
He left behind six silver spoons that someone had given him, and he left behind six pound notes, one for each of the men who carried his grave, his coffin. That's all he left. And why was that all he left? Because he was so holy that he took all of the money that God had given him, and he invested it in kingdom work. He founded the Methodist Church. He spent it on getting Bibles printed. He founded orphanages. John Wesley was a man who, who not only was outwardly holy, but he, he wanted to be inwardly holy. This week in the U.S., a very prominent pastor has been removed from his position. Why? For moral failure. But John Wesley, he, he was so concerned with his personal holiness as a pastor. Do you know what he did? He set up a holiness club. He got a grip of his trusted friends and he met with them regularly. And together they confessed their sins to each other and their temptations to one another. And they prayed for each other. Wesley was a man who was so consumed with being holy. And maybe in your mind, when you think of holy people, you, you think of people like Wesley, or maybe you have other great heroes who you think of. Or maybe it was people in the church that you grew up in, or, or a different place, and you know Christians, and they're just so holy, and you look at their lives, and you think, you know what, I'd love to be like that. But I never could be in a million years. Whenever you think of holy people, when you think of a holy person, who is it this morning that you think of? Here's a question. Do you think of yourself? Do you think of yourself as a holy person? Would you define yourself as a holy person? You see, this morning as we begin this series, what I want you to get is that you are holy people. This morning, if you're sitting in a pew and you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior and you now belong to God, you're now one of His family, then whether or not you think of it, you are actually now a holy person. You see, to be holy means that you belong to God. That, in a sense, is what makes you a holy person. If you think of the temple in the Old Testament, it was just a bunch of bricks and mortar. But it's called the holy temple because it belongs to God. If you think of our Bible that you have in your house, it's just a bunch of pages with words typed in it. But it's the holy Bible because it's words that belong to God. And this morning as you sit here in these pews, what I want you to grasp right at the start of this series, is that you're a holy person. You belong to God, and that makes you a holy one. That's why Paul, whenever he writes to the churches in the New Testament, which were filled with normal people like us, that's why he often called them saints, holy ones, because that's what they are, and that's what we are. We are holy people. We belong to God. 
But what the Bible says is that we're not only that we are holy people, but it also says that we are to be holy people. Did you notice that in the passage that I read out? Look at what Peter says here on the screen. He says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. So he says, listen, as obedient children, now that you're one of God's children, don't live how you used to live. Just following your own desires, doing whatever you pleased, don't live that way anymore. But look what it says next. But just as he who called you is holy, so but just as God is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Do you see what God says here to us? Yes, he says that we are holy. Positionally, that's who we are. We belong to God. We're holy people. But what he says through this passage is that we're to live as holy people. We are to live holy lives. Did you notice it? Be holy in all you do, in everything we do, me and you are to be holy. Here's a few questions, though. First of all, what does that mean? What does it mean to be holy in all we do? That's the first question. The second question, once we get what it means, what does it actually look like? In our day-to-day lives, as we live out our life, what does it actually look like to live a holy life? And the third question we're going to ask this morning is this, why does it matter? You know, if we're saved by grace, if we're completely forgiven, if we're counted holy as God, why does it matter that we live holy lives? This morning, these are the three questions we're going to focus on in the rest of our time. So first of all, what does it mean to be holy? What does it mean to to live a holy life? Well, to begin to answer that question, we've got to think of God. And one of the things that the Bible says about God is that he is holy. In fact, a number of times it says he's holy, holy, holy. He's, He's holy to a whole other degree than we will ever be. And what that word holy means, it means he's set apart. He's different. He's distinct. He's in a league of his own, if you like. And there are lots of ways that God is in a league of his own. He's more powerful than any human will ever be. He's more mighty. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. But he's also all-good. And one of the things that we have to remember about God is that he is good. And his goodness is is in a league of its own. God is one who never does anything wrong, ever. God is one who always does what is right. God is one who is perfectly just and perfectly fair and perfectly good all of the time. And whenever we think of God's holiness, I guess that's what I want you to think of. His moral perfection at all times. He's utterly different from us, utterly good all of the time. And this, folks, this is the key to understanding what it means to live a holy life. What it means to live a holy life is to reflect something of God's moral purity in our lives. Let me say that again because it's really important to get it. 
To live a holy life is to reflect something of God's moral purity in our lives. To live a holy life, to live a morally good and pure life. But let me just be clear here on two things. The first is this, we're not God. Now, I know you know that. I hope none of you think you're God. You're not, and neither am I. None of us are God. And I say that because what that means is that we're never going to be perfectly holy. We're never going to be perfect. We're never going to be perfect this side of eternity. We're always going to need the blood of Jesus. We're always going to need his forgiveness. Nevertheless, though, we're called to live holy lives. We're called to live pure lives. We're called to live good lives. The second thing I want to be clear on is that we're not saved by living a good life. Every other religion in the world says, if you're good enough, you'll be saved. Christianity has a different message. It says, you're all flawed. Jesus has come to save you and you're saved by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. So being good being holy, living a morally good and pure life, let me just say it right at the start, that does not save anybody. We're saved completely by Jesus. But listen, Jesus doesn't just save us from the punishment of sin. He saves us from being enslaved by sin. Jesus is such a wonderful Savior that He doesn't just save us from the penalty that our sin deserves, but He sets us free from sin's power. Jesus saves us and makes us holy and gives us all we need to live holy lives. This morning, what it means to be holy is to live a morally pure, morally good life. There is a term that people use for Christians, and um, I, I despise it. In fact, whenever I hear this term used, it kind of makes me cringe inside, and it's the term good living. Oh, I see down there, I see he's good living, so she is. See him who lives over there, I he's good living, so he is. And the reason that makes me cringe is because that's not the heart of the Christian message. The heart of the Christian message is that we're flawed and we're sinful and we have a forgiver. It's not that we're good living. But there is something in that term. There is something in it. And the thing that is in it is that as followers of Jesus, we should be living lives that are good. We should be living lives that people look at and they say, do you know what, that, that that woman lives a good life. That man lives a good life. That teenager, they live in a really good way. There should be something good living about us if we're followers of Jesus. So that's what holiness is. That's what it means to live a holy life. To live a good life, a, a moral life. A life shaped by God's word. But what does it look like? You know, okay, Marty, so you've said that, but what does it actually look like to, 
to live a holy life? Well, again, this is not exhaustive, but let me give you some idea of what it looks like to live a holy life. The first thing it looks like, it looks like obeying God's commands. It's really interesting. Paul, at the end of his letter to the Roman church, the church in Rome, he he says something just incredible. He says this. He says, your obedience is known to all. Hey, little church in Rome, did you know that you're famous? Did you know that you're famous across all the world? And the reason you're famous is because people know of your obedience to God. They know that you're obedient people. They know that you take God's commands seriously and you live them out. And folks, this is something of what it looks like to live a holy life. It looks like obeying God's commands no matter where you are, no matter who you're with, no matter what is going on. A holy life is one that obeys God's commands in the workplace. Even more difficult, a holy life is one that obeys God's commands at home. A holy life is one that obeys God's commands with your family. A holy life is one where you obey God's commands when you're out with your friends on the town. A holy life looks like one where God's commands are treasured and obeyed no matter where you are or who you're with or what's going on. That's one thing that a holy life looks like. A holy life also looks like rejecting vices and embracing virtues. Whenever you read through the New Testament, If you read it carefully, in lots of different passages, you will see the Apostle Paul giving lists of vices and virtues. Things that wicked people do and that followers of Christ should reject and turn and flee from. And then things that we as God's people should embrace and live out. Let me read just a few of them and and see if these resonate with you. And and as I read these, what I want you to do is not just hear them as a list of, of vices and virtues, but what I want you to do is I want you to imagine a life which is free of the vices and full of the virtues. I want you to imagine your life being free of these vices and full of these virtues. Imagine this life. Imagine how beautiful it will be. We're going to talk about that next week. Let me read some of the vices. Laziness. Selfishness. Being cowardly. Being greedy. Being prejudiced. Telling lies. Being impatient. Being reckless. Being discontent being tolerant of sin, being grateful, being disrespectful, being half-hearted after God, being proud, being cruel, being violent, being a complainer, being sexually immoral, being unforgiving, being someone who hates. Those are vices 
that God says that we should reject in our lives in order to live a holy life. But he doesn't just say, listen, just reject those. He then calls us to embrace virtues. And let me read some of these virtues that that we're called to embrace. Virtues that that we will embrace if we're going to live a holy life. Virtues, and, and imagine that all of these virtues were in you. Imagine the type of person you would be. Imagine the type of life that you would live. Let me read these. Virtues. Be self-controlled. Be truthful. Be faithful. Be selfless. Be courageous. Be generous. Be fair. Be calm. Be gentle. Be patient. Be content. Be intolerant of sin. Be sincere. Be hospitable. Be hopeful. Be modest. Be respectful. Be wholehearted for God. Be sexually pure. Be wise. Be humble. Be forgiving. A holy life will look like rejecting vices and embracing the virtues that God has given us in the New Testament. And next week, what I hope to show you is is the beauty of a holy life, how beautiful it would be if we lived in a holy way. A third thing then that it looks like to live a holy life is to live with a clear conscience. To live with a clear conscience. Now listen, our consciences, they're not perfect. Our consciences can be flawed and twisted. They're they're not perfect, but they are good indicators of what is right and wrong, what is holy and unholy. God has given us our conscience and it's it's a wonderful gift for holiness. And to live a holy life will mean listening to your conscience. Whenever our conscience says something to us, holiness will look like listening to it and doing something in light of it. Whenever you're watching TV and your conscience speaks to you, or when you're watching something online and your conscience speaks to you and it says to you, this is not good. There's nothing good in this. This is not God-honoring. This is not good for your soul. When your conscience says that, a holy life will turn it off. Whenever you're thinking about how to spend your money and you look at how you're spending it and your conscience pricks you and says, should you really be spending so much money on this when there's all of these other things you should be spending it on? A holy life will listen to that. And use your money in a way that pleases God. When your conscience challenges you about how much time you're wasting on social media or on your Xbox or your PlayStation, when your conscience pricks you that you're actually wasting your life entertaining yourself to death, you'll do something about it. You'll make a better use of your time. 
when your conscience challenges you that you've been prayerless, you'll pray. When your, when your conscience challenges you that you've not spent time with God in His Word, you'll go and you'll spend time with God in His Word. When your conscience challenges you just how much alcohol you drink on a night out or a night in, you'll regulate how much alcohol you take in. A holy life is one that listens to the conscience, that doesn't ignore it or shove it out, but listens and reacts to what it says. I came across something very helpful this week. And it's in a book called The Hole in Our Holiness by a guy called Kevin DeYoung, who some of the men went and heard back whenever we were allowed to go to places with mass gatherings. And Kevin DeYoung, he says that whenever it comes to holiness, he likes to think of the body. Let me read what he says. He says, think of the body. The mind is filled with what is good. Eyes they turn away from sensuality and they shudder at the sight of evil. The mouth tells the truth and the mouth refuses to gossip or slander or speak what is coarse or obscene. The soul, he says, it rests in the finished work of Christ. The muscles they strive after Christ-like virtue. They run after holiness. The heart, he says, it's full of joy instead of hopelessness. It's full of patience instead of irritability. It's full of kindness instead of anger. It's full of humility instead of pride. It's full of thankfulness instead of envy. He says the sexual organs are pure, being reserved for the privacy of marriage between one man and one woman. The feet, he says, they move toward the lowly and they run away from senseless conflicts and division and wild parties. And the hands, he says, they're quick to help those in need and to be folded in prayer. Do you see this morning what holiness looks like? Have you got a little bit of a picture of what it looks like to live a holy life? It's beautiful, isn't it? It's beautiful. A holy life like we're going to think about next week is a beautiful life. But here's the question, why does it matter why does all this matter? Why does it matter that we live a holy life? I mean, if we're saved by grace and, and Christ will forgive all of our sin, then why does it actually matter that we live a holy life in our workplaces and in, with our families and in our day-to-day -day life? Why does this matter? There are lots of reasons, but this morning I just want to highlight two. The first is this. It's that holiness is evidence of salvation. Holiness is evidence of salvation. 
In the book of Hebrews, the writer says this. He says, strive for peace and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for holiness, he says. Because without it, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now what he is not saying here is that holiness saves someone. It doesn't. Jesus saves. But what he's getting at is that the evidence of salvation, the evidence that you are one of God's holy people is that you will live holy lives. The evidence that I am my mother and father's son is that I have their DNA. And the evidence that we belong to a holy God is that there are glimpses of His holiness in our lives. Our lives should in some way reflect and show our Father's likeness. It matters. Holiness matters. Living a holy life matters because it is the only sure evidence that we really are one of God's people. This morning, maybe you're sitting here and you're challenged by that. And the reason you're challenged is because whenever you look at your life, you have no desire for holiness. You don't even have a desire for a desire for holiness. You're not interested in holiness at all. You come to church week in, week out, And you think that because you come to church that that makes you one of God's people. It doesn't. Come to church every week. It's like me going to a garage every week and thinking I'm a car. I'm not. Come to church every week. It doesn't mean you're one of God's people. God's people are those who have trusted in Jesus as the forgiver who've accepted his forgiveness and who've been given his Holy Spirit and have been given a desire for holiness and start to live a holy life, not a perfect life, but they move in the direction of holiness. This morning, are you moving in that direction? Is there evidence that you're living a life of holiness? Is there evidence that you're moving that way? You might be moving really slowly. That's okay. You might be making not much progress, that's okay. But if you're not moving in that direction, if there's no desire for holiness in you, then this morning I want to say that you you need to question whether or not you really are one of God's people. And I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm saying that so that you don't have a wrong idea. This morning, if that's you, why don't you go home and why don't you get on your knees and why don't you ask God to bring you into his family? Why don't you ask God to give you the new heart that he promises and the new mind that he promises and the new life that he promises? Why not this morning go home and do that? Because God will. He will. He loves you. This morning, there is no need to pretend 
you can actually become one of God's people. He accepts all sorts into his family. People like me and people like you, anyone who will call upon his son. The second reason then that, that, that holiness and living a holy right, life is important is this, and I'm finishing with this. It's because happiness comes from holiness. I wonder, have you realized that? We all want to be happy, don't we? I mean, I think we do anyway. I think we all want to be happy people and have happy lives. And as you listen to the world around you, they will tell you that happiness comes from all sorts of places and they'll encourage you to run down roads to find happiness. But listen to me, every road we run down, it doesn't lead to lasting happiness, does it? We run down the road of getting more stuff and we're happy for a while, but then we don't have enough. We run down the, the, the road of getting into a relationship with someone and we get in and it's wonderful and it's good and it's great. But speak to someone who's been married for 40 years, it doesn't fulfill the deepest longing for happiness that you have. We're told in all different places what will make us happy. But the reality is that, that a life of holiness, a holy life leads to a happy life. In church history, when you go back, there was a group of people who lived in the 16th and the 17th centuries. And they were called Puritans. And the reason they were called Puritans is because they were obsessed with living pure lives. They were obsessed with holiness. They trusted in Jesus. It was all about being saved by grace alone. But they got to a really big degree that when you're saved by Jesus, you're saved for a holy life. And they were obsessive about holiness. And if you go back to that generation, you want to read books on holiness, there is a list as long as your arm of big, thick tomes on holiness. But I want to read you three quotes from two books. And they're at the conclusion of books. They're at the end of books that have studied holiness and that they're, that they're part of lives of people who have lived holy lives. And here's what they say. Thomas Brooks, in this book called Holiness, The Only Way to Happiness, he says this. This is written in 1622, by the way. He says this. An absolute fullness of holiness will make an absolute fullness of happiness. If you fill your life with holiness, he says, you'll find a life that's full of happiness. And Matthew Henry, Matthew Henry, the great commentator, he says this. He says, those only are happy, truly happy, that are holy, truly holy. And then he goes on, he says, goodness and holiness are not the only way to happiness, but happiness itself. I want you to imagine living a holy life like we thought about this morning. Imagine a conscience that never condemns you. That'd make you happy, wouldn't it? Imagine a life where you don't need to ask the forgiveness of other people because of something stupid you've said or done to them. 
where you never have to ask for forgiveness because you've actually held your tongue or you've been patient and kind. Imagine a life where you don't have regrets. Regrets about things you said or thought or done. Imagine you lived a holy life. Imagine the happiness that would bring. This morning, I hope that the foundation has been laid this morning. The foundation for this series. You're holy people because you belong to God. And God now calls you to live holy lives. And next week, what we're going to think about is the beauty of living a holy life. Next week, we're going to to look at a holy life and see just how beautiful it would be to live. For now, though, let's pray together. Almighty and holy God, we thank you so much that we have been able to gather here today to worship you. And we thank you for being amongst us here this morning by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we praise you today that even though we are flawed people, we are forgiven by Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that that forgiveness now belongs to us because of him and that because of him we are holy and acceptable in your sight. Holy God, although we're never going to be perfectly holy people, although we're always going to be flawed this side of eternity, We want to declare to you this morning that we do long to be holy people. We long to be people who reflect your love. We long to be people who show your compassion. We long to be people who obey your commands. We long to be people who walk in your ways. Oh Lord, forgive us this morning. Forgive us for failing to take our own holiness seriously. Forgive us, Lord, for so often flirting with sin rather than fighting it. Forgive us, Lord, for so often delighting that we've been saved from sin's punishment, yet forgetful that we've been saved from sin's power. Oh, Lord, over these coming weeks, give us a deeper desire for personal holiness and give us all of the tools that we need to live out that life that you've called us to. Help us today to rejoice that Jesus has made us holy in your sight and is making us holy on this journey of life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.